This episode of the Supply Chain Brain Podcast is supported by Karl Marx Advisors, a provider of financial and operational advisory services. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company and what it offers to clients. But now, on to the podcast. If you're wondering when supply chains might experience a return to normal, don't hold your breath. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. These are anything but normal times, assuming that word has any real meaning for global supply chains. They've been battered by an endless series of crises over the decades. Maybe that's what normal means. But the current pileup of disruptions, including COVID-19, war in Ukraine, rising inflation and labor issues, it feels unprecedented. A new survey of supply chain executives by Karl Marx Advisors, in partnership with Supply Chain Brain, delves into the pain that companies are feeling as they struggle to get their goods to market. On this episode, we delve into the results of the survey with my guest, Peter Keogh, Managing Director of Karl Marx Advisors. We'll learn how executives are viewing the future and how they intend to survive it. In today's world of chaos and uncertainty, just what does it mean to be nimble? Here's my conversation with Peter Keogh. Peter Keogh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Peter, tell me about the supply chains in crisis survey that Karl Marx Advisors recently did. So the survey was conducted late May, early June, conjunction with supply chain brain. We did an online supply chain survey across multiple industries. We reached out to a lot of industry executives, of which we got 107 responses. And I guess this is the outcome of the results of that survey, this discussion today. So based on that survey, what are the key takeaways that you saw coming out of it? The key takeaways did not surprise anyone. I mean, what we found was that the pandemic had certainly impacted the corporate supply chains. And what we were seeing as a result of or from the questions that were answered, it continues to play havoc on the supply chain. We also saw that there's concerns around rising inflation And certainly now the global tensions that are with the Ukraine war and other things are certainly preventing a return to normal in the supply chain. So when you add it all up, in summary, you've you've got the war, obviously. There's certainly a lot of inflationary pressure right now. And a lot of the sponsors also talked about just the labor problem that seems to be still a hangover of the COVID days. These do seem to be unique times. You talk about whether it's a return to normal or not, which suggests that we're in abnormal times. These appear to be things that supply chains, for all the complexities that they've experienced in years past, this feels different. Is that the sense you get, that these are very different times from how things used to be? I think what you've got here is it may not necessarily be different. It may feel different. And I think what has happened is that there's been a realization, or a.k.a. an increased visibility into 
what the global supply chain is and how just integrated it is and how dependent it is on so much stability around the world other than just getting product from point A to point B, which is normally how people think of supply chains. And there's a lot more that goes into that. So what I think we're having right now is we've bypassed COVID. We're thinking COVID's over with for the most part, but there's still a huge hangover effect from COVID. You've got the war going on. If you look at the American basis here, we're not directly involved in the war, but we're certainly financing a war, and as to our other countries. And that financing means there's more debt, and more debt will eventually, in ratio to GDP, becomes larger. You then get interest rate pressures to increase interest rates. It's a little different only the fact that we've had a lot of stuff happen to us over the last two years that has created this tsunami. And if you think of something like when you open up floodgates and you let the water out, then you can stop the floodgates, but that water continues to rush down the mountain and continues to play havoc. And I think that's what we have here right now is we're still living with the consequences of days gone by, but now we've overlaid it with new impactors around the world. And I think at the end of the day that corporations are realizing that there's a lot more to a supply chain than they used to realize. In citing the various factors that make up the current supply chain crisis, did the respondents prioritize them? Did they rank them or did you simply ask them to list them in no particular order? No. So what we did was we asked them to rank them, basically asking them which was the greatest one. And the interesting mm-hmm. thing that came back there was the first one out of the gate was shipping as being one of the biggest impactors on cost. And that is certainly a tie-over from COVID. And you mentioned earlier on around how long this is going to last. The international shipping network has never reconfigured back to post-COVID, and it may never. And that's going to cause a lot of problems, at least if you're bringing stuff over on the major shipping lines, which is Asia to America, America to Europe, Asia to Europe. And those lines, mm-hmm. they're, they're just struggling with the demand. Now, of course, if we enter into the recession and the demand goes down, then we may get an opportunity to reconfigure that network a little bit. Do you have a sense then? I mean, I guess you did ask them, did you not, as to how they're responding to these sets of crises? Can you talk a little bit about how what they're doing to in- mitigate the impact of disruptions? Well, you've got a couple. One, they certainly, because of the early on days of COVID, and as demand went through the roof coming out of COVID, the demand for product became larger. So when you're looking about a manufacturing type facility that needs inputs, you found that their inventory levels, they started getting more inventory into their supply chain. So you're getting rising inventories. Then you look at, even if you take out manufacturing, and look at retail, you've seen that the retailers have increased their inventory significantly as a result of coming out of COVID. You've got that, you've got a cost management challenge. And really that translates into, as your costs increase, how well can you pass those costs through to your customer? And I think that was another thing that came out was, was around pricing and the ability to be able to pass through the cost to your customers. So you've got mm-hmm. pricing and then you've also got costs have gone up in some cases 20, 40%, which significantly impacts margins unless you have a discipline around on how you pass that through. What about supplier strategies? What about diversifying suppliers? Have we seen any moves in that direction or any suggestion that we might see moves in that direction in a serious way? Yes, we certainly have seen moves. And again, this comes back to my initial comment around how I think one of the, you know, why it's not different but different is because I 
the companies now have realized that they need to have a diversified supplier base for their strategic inputs, whether that be finished goods, raw materials. And so you're seeing that happen. The, the part that is difficult in a supply chain is they're only really looking at their first tier vendors. And given the intricacies and the deep integration across the global supply chain, they're not really talking about tier two and tier three. And that's where the troubles can really begin. When you mm-hmm. don't know where the thing that you're sourcing is just a, is a component, but it makes is being made up by several two and tier three suppliers. That's where the risks are really big right now. And yeah. so you're seeing diversification tier one, but most purchasing people don't even know what their tier two and tier three suppliers are. So, um, it's hard to diversify when you don't know who they are. And they could challenge. find out that even if they have diversified Tier 1, that there could be a single-source situation with Tier 2 or Tier 3, and they all back to China again, for instance, when they didn't even realize it. So you're, you're seeing a real sense that companies are just not getting clear visibility in terms of the entire scope of their multi-tier supply chain. That's kind of distressing to hear. But they, is that indeed the case? Uh, it is the case. Uh, Dun & Bradstreet did a, a survey six months ago. And it was startling. I don't have the numbers in front of me. It was startling to see how many of the chief purchasing officers readily admitted that they barely even knew all their tier one suppliers to the detail Hmm. you need to, right, around how you collaborate with them, how you have scorecards and you have joint KPIs that you share around performance and weed out costs and improve efficiency. They don't even have a full line of sight, which was disturbing, even into all their tier ones. No idea about tier two and tier three. Don't possess the ability to yeah. do that. Well, that is even more distressing in light of the current concerns over ESG, environmental, social, and governance, compliance concerns, that if you don't know who those Tier 2 and Tier 3 suppliers are, you don't have a sense of what are your carbon emissions, what are your social responsibilities, what are your governance responsibilities, because you simply don't have visibility. And even that isn't kind of kicking people in the head a little bit and getting them to see the need for this? Well, I think there's two things. You can add on to that what you just said around just the sanctions that have been brought out against Russia and how deep Tier 2 and Tier 3 suppliers are in both you, well, in Russia specifically. So there's a risk mm-hmm. there, certainly. I think the issue is how do you get visibility into it? Now, you think about someone who's responsible for uh, getting product or getting raw materials. They want to firm up their Tier 1 They want to get that right because they can then force through those dialogues at least the the tier two. I mean, if you can give a tier one good forecasting, that should help them to do to help manage their tier two. You've got to stay where you can control, and hence the tier one's the focus. We are all becoming so aware, even lay people who aren't in the supply chain. We read in the paper all the time about the single sourcing crisis. Half the neon in the world coming from Ukraine, lithium, microprocessors, carbon black, all of this stuff that's concentrated in just a few sources around the world, and those sources are very volatile. So do you see any indication among companies of an awareness of the need to diversify at that level, at raw material level, because it's suddenly become painfully aware of the problems that emerge as a result of that? There's certainly the intent to do that. The ones you mentioned are a lot easier than a lot of the others because you've got someone that manufactures it and then it goes from that into you know all the precious metals that go into chips and things like that. Everything you mentioned, fertilizers, which you didn't mention, but still there. Yeah, there's yeah. certainly an awareness. The question is, you've got this big elephant that you've got to deal with. You've got to prioritize where you're going to go first. You can't do it all at the same time. So 
there's a prioritization that companies should be following to make sure they firm up their strategic purchases or inputs with, as you said, raw materials first before mm-hmm. they go to tier two. It's just a challenge to fight to get into the tier two. It really is. Based on your survey, what is the view of supply chain executives about the future? It's grim for the most part. You see mm-hmm. some that think it's going to be the end of 2023, but I would say a large proportion of them were beyond 2023. The supply chain would start to recalibrate to whatever the normal is. Obviously, everyone had a different definition of the normal. We didn't ask for that part of it. But there's no confidence right now, given the pending recession, pending war continuing forever, and just the supply chain hangover effect from COVID, etc., that it's going to be a next six months to a year rebalance. But if I could grab onto some shred of positivity here, did you not ask them what magic levers they see that could perhaps bring supply chain costs under control this year? And if so, what were some of those factors that might make things better? The thing is, though, and I'll be very frank with you, the response to that particular question wasn't overly enlightening. It almost sounded like they were a little sour about either the current political landscape we're in or, I mean, there wasn't much. There was very little that came out of that question to the point I was actually disappointed Mm -hmm. with that one. Unfortunately, they gave me nothing that I would want to share. Maybe they had nothing to give in that respect. That could could just be it. So I know you believe, and many people believe, that in the future, in order to continue to succeed, supply chains are going to have to be nimble. What does that mean to you, Peter? What does it mean to be nimble going forward? There's a couple things to that. To be nimble, it means that you've got to be able, in my definition, is you've got to be able to adjust to the micro and macro environment that goes around you. That means having very robust discipline processes around forecasting. I truly believe getting closer to the demand curve from where you source your product from is really important. I totally get the outsourcing piece of what happened over the last 15, 20, 30 years of outsourcing everything offshore if we could for cost. But the problem you have with that is you can't be overly nimble. Now, yes, if you're an electronic-type company where you can air freight stuff, well, that is being somewhat nimble. You're, you're a little closer to the demand of when that product's needed. But if you've got to put stuff on ships, that takes time. And so you can't be nimble when your supply chain is a very long supply chain. So I think, again, it comes down to being able to forecast, working with your customers to really be able to forecast better. You've got to be able to have the ability to have understanding of when you need to change direction, which comes from having robust processes and having people accountable. And I think, too, you've got to have that – you've mentioned it earlier several times. You've got to have a diversified supplier base that if one, for whatever reason, has a problem with supply, e.g. they're in an area that gets locked down, e.g. China, or they're in a place that has war, e.g. Ukraine or Russia even, for that matter, or something else that goes wrong or or, or upsets the supply chain, you can then move to another supplier or at least beef up the production of another supplier. That, to me, it's an operational execution fed by a very robust forecasting process. That's where I view the word nimble come into play. I want to ask you, when will things return to normal? But I'm thinking maybe the better question is, will things ever return to normal? What is your view? And I'm not even sure that we know what normal means, but how do you feel about us getting back to some state that in any way resembles the past before these crises hit us? Yeah, I, I think the normal is going to be reset 
And the reason I think that is, I think the world has become a lot more complex and a lot more unstable, maybe. There's just a lot more things that now happen in other parts of the world and in America too, just globally, that impacts the ability to source stuff. So it impacts the supply chain. I view the world, and I think a lot of people are now too, you've got to view it like your body. When something happens to one part, the rest of it responds, whether you can see it or not. That's just physiology. It happens. I think the same thing's happening here. So I think the new norm, I'm not sure we know what it's going to look like. I certainly wouldn't want to predict it because I think there's more that's going to come down the road. I mean, we could have another outbreak of a COVID type thing. I think there's a lot more stuff that in the world now, as I said earlier, that really is, is a big things that happen or big events that totally rock the world. You see when a plant goes down somewhere in, for resin producing, it, it impacts the world. Paper manufacturer has a fire and it's one of the largest in the world. That impacts. So I don't see a return to any kind of norm. I don't think there is a norm that was pre-COVID. I think we're still going to have to invent it and define it as we go. Peter, who is Karl Marx Advisors, and where do you fit into the picture? The Karl Marx Advisors, we, we have two pieces, two main parts of our business. We have an investment bank, and then we have a financial advisory arm, uh, which I, and I fit in under that umbrella. Specifically, within that umbrella, we have a group of operators that we have the financial advisory side, which we all do. But then we also have a, a group, a subset of that group that are operators that are very operationally inclined. Yes, we can connect the dots between operations and finance, which is very important. But we actually spend a lot of time in the operations of a company, helping them to improve their efficiencies and the effectiveness of what they do. We kind of call it performance improvement. Others can call it transformation. It's essentially taking companies that are challenged in one area or, or know they're challenged in one area and helping them quickly not only devise a solution, but also help them implement it that's sustainable, which then gives them a lift in their margins, ultimately, which is the name of the game. Do you find that recent events have made it necessary for Karl Marx Advisors to heighten its involvement in supply chain issues? Has that become more of your portfolio, or was that always a specialty all along? It depends how you define supply chain. But we are seeing a more of a demand for companies who realize that either their processes are not as good as they thought they were or are waking up going, oh, how do we, especially on supply chain, where are our gaps in performance? What do we need to do to move more towards being you know, world-class women just much better than we are? We are seeing demand for that. The other part of the demand is, too, they're looking to ways to improve their margins, but also improve their ability to deliver the customer demand. And that's where we can help as well. So there's always a good payback at the end of the day. We measure our success based on what we can generate to the company in bottom line performance improvement. With a global scope these days, too, in terms of your advisory capacity, I'd imagine, it's pretty hard to ignore the fact that supply chains and financial situations are just, by nature, global in scope. Yeah, no doubt. And, of course, during COVID, it was very difficult to help impact that because of the travel restrictions. So now the world's opened up, yes, there's a lot more international work because that's where it gets fed from. 
Peter Keogh of Karl Marx Advisors, I want to thank you so much for telling me a little bit about the Supply Chains and Crisis Survey, which again was conducted in partnership with us, the Supply Chain Brain, and we really appreciate your partnership and some of the really interesting revelations that came out of it. Thanks for talking about that, as well as telling us a little bit about Karl Marx Advisors as well. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. That was my conversation with Peter Keogh of Karl Marx Advisors, talking about the results of a new survey of supply chain executives. We thank Karl Marx Advisors for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time. <laughs>